today on the Rotten or Righteous podcast, a little red-headed boy says, I'm going to kill me some red coats. I believe you would. And I'm like, aw, you're so cute. Welcome back to Rotten or Righteous, the only podcast that, well, there's a story going around about how some 20 redcoats got killed by a podcast or some dang thing, carried a Cherokee tomahawk. Well, that was us. Scott, were you out killing the Brits this week? As far as you know, I wasn't. I think I'm only, I only hate the French, not the, the Brits are alright. With me today, as always... He has long feared that his sins would return to visit him, and the cost is more than he can bear. He's Luke Taylor. Dang it. Along with Luke, he's not the sort we need. He's the kind of sort that gives the sort we need a bad name. He's Scott Judge. (laughs) I don't even know what that means. (laughs) And as for me, I say we drink the wine, eat the dogs, and use the paper for musket wadding. I'm Zach Geiler. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we begin, I have a saga to tell you about a pumpkin, seeing as it's now October. It is, isn't it? Yeah. My son loves pumpkins. Pumpkins are his favorite thing. So Kelsey went and bought him like a bunch of those little mini gourd pumpkins. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was playing with one and the stem fell off. Well, the stem falling off a pumpkin apparently means that the pumpkin is broken and is therefore useless. And where does Joseph decide to put the pumpkin? In the toilet. Now, this wouldn't necessarily be that bad of a thing if the pumpkin was either a little bit bigger or a little bit smaller. Hmm. But the pumpkin he chose to put into our toilet was the perfect size to get up past the first bend of the S bend in your toilet and just stick there. Oh my. Matter of fact, when he said he put a pumpkin in the toilet, and he did several times, I went and looked at the toilet. There was no pumpkin. I didn't believe him. I said, Joseph, you did not put a pumpkin in the toilet. And he says, yeah, I did. I put a pumpkin in the toilet. It's like, Joseph, look at me. Did you put a pumpkin in the toilet? Yes. I put a pumpkin in the toilet. Try to flush, Daddy. Well, that's what I did. I was like, there's not a pumpkin in the toilet. So I flush, and I just hear, thunk. <laughs> that sound of... You've heard it before, whenever whenever something, like when you're vacuuming or something and you suck up a golf ball or whatever, that perfect suction, you know everything is stopped kind of sound. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have never been more happy that I have a big old fat hand. The hold up. You got your hand down through the toilet up to the first, uh, no, the first no, no, turn no, in the no, pipe? Not at all. Oh. Not at all. No. Uh, my first attempt to dislodge the pumpkin was to unravel a uh, 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 hanger. You know, just try to get up in there, mm-hmm. wiggle it out. But it, like I said, it was stuck in there. And then poor Kelsey, she's in there with like <laughs> rubber gloves from the, the sink. Rubber gloves. Just trying to get that pumpkin out and she can't get it. And, you know, I, I, I called my dad, asked for, for his... You know, two cents. 
he suggested a a, a corkscrew. You know, mm-hmm. to you know, if you get a handle in that pumpkin, you can pull it out. <laughs> but again, you know, my hand is too big; it, it won't even get in the hole. And so, so Kelsey is the one doing all this. <laughs> you do have to have a small hand to get it down. Well, here's the thing: the I was, I was, I, I love my son to no end, but she kept doing it, and I was like, "Get him! He's got the tiniest hands in the world. He's the <laughs> one that put the stupid pumpkin in that toilet. Make him do it." But uh yeah, so we get the we get the the corkscrew and Kelsey's about ready to go to town to try to get this corkscrew connected to the pumpkin and she has to like get behind the pumpkin in order to pull it up to the first S bend so that she can get it. And as she does that, somehow she moves it just right and the pumpkin just pop, pops right out and we were, were able to get it out. Which is good it because if the, if the corkscrew which way did didn't it go. No, it it went out. We were able to pick the pumpkin up and, and throw it away. And uh yeah, I, I'm I'm really happy that that happened because if it didn't, the only other option would have been me having to take the toilet out and getting the pumpkin pumpkin that way. Uh, so thankfully, uh, the pumpkin is is thrown away. Um, and this is just your weekly PSA, you know, pumpkins and toilets—they don't mix. The great pumpkin caper of twenty-one. This is why I'm not having children. I have a working toilet currently and i'd like to keep it that way okay let's get into the movie we're running out of time here uh as you may or may not be aware this week we watched the 2000 historical ish drama um uh the patriot i'm not disparaging the fact that it's a good movie but it is not the most historically accurate depiction of the revolutionary war that one can find uh, but it is in my mind. Yes. Well, you also think that. No, I'm not even going to get into it. We are so borderline offensive in in the podcast episode that that released this week that I'm afraid to say anything else. <laughs> Between you calling me a Nazi and me trying to disparage a uh, a war hero, we're we're like right on the co- coast. I don't want to be canceled for a podcast that has 40 viewers or listeners a week. I don't want to. Can't. Can would who would cancel us? Nobody, I guess not. There's only one man. Either that, or we could get like really, really popular because of this. And I don't want to get really, really popular for for trying to argue against a war hero either. I mean, either way, it's not a good look for us. So, uh, yeah, let's just dive into the discussion. We're introduced to the slave-owning, loyalist, God-fearing, not-quite-American widower from South Carolina named Benjamin Martin. And oh boy, guys, this man cannot build a rocking chair to save his life. <laughs> Which makes a lot of sense, seeing as rocking chairs weren't really even invented or used until the late 18th century. So, uh... Or the late 19th century, early 19th century, I should say. So it wasn't around to the 1800s, so he's... He's ahead of his time. Truly, that's probably why it wasn't working. He was inventing the rocking chair, and then later the British yeah. stole it and perfected it. That Cornwallis had a good rocking chair up in his house. Uh, uh, despite his lack of carpentry, Ben seems to be running a successful plantation with his children. There's the eldest son, Gabriel, who's played by the late, great Heath Ledger, who just cannot wait to join the Continental Army. 
Then there's Thomas, a young boy on the verge of lead poisoning, who spends his day making small models of English and colonist soldiers out of the poisonous metal. Then we have Samuel, Nathan, and Margaret, and those are all just interchangeable middle children. And finally, there's the baby, Susan, who's just an absolute adorable little girl who's still mute despite being well into her toddlerhood. <sighs> now, Benjamin is called to sit on a council in Charleston. So the whole family go on a 17th or 1700s road trip. In Charleston, Benjamin and his brood are staying with Ben's late wife's sister. <laughs> <laughs> late wife's uh, sister. Aunt Charlotte. And uh, Charleston is all abuzz about succeeding from Britain. You know, that, that whole song and dance. No taxation without representation. Don't tread on me. Uh, the only Brit is a dead Brit. And uh, limey should be a flavor and sprite. Not a person in our country. America. America. <sighs> should have been around then. We would have had so many terrible slogans. Instead of don't tread on me, we would have had a flag that said limey's a flavor and sprite. Not people we want in this country. You're not going to go to the Smithsonian and see a flag that says limey's a flavor and sprite and go, man, those guys were inspirational. That's how we would have won the war. Um... Now, one man in particular that's super anti-Britain is uh, this man by the name of Peter Howell, who looks a lot like Jerry from uh, Parks and Recreation, but he's not. I looked it up because I was like, is that Jerry? It's not Jerry. But Peter Howell is, uh, has a daughter named Anne, and, and Gabriel's just crushing on this woman big time. But uh, they don't have much time to, to do any flirting or stuff because the council is, is in session and everybody's fighting about whether or not South Carolina's going to join the, the big old fight. They're going to they're gonna jump into the big game, bring the championship home for America. Some people say, nah, no thanks. Other people say, yeah, we probably should do that. But then Benjamin, who's a hero because he was a ruthless fighter for the crown at Fort Wilderness during the French and Indian War, stands up and he's like, yo, guys, I was in war... And it's not much fun. So, uh, yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna fight no more. I've got kids, and uh, so you know, I don't have any principles anymore because I have some kids. And I was like, Benjamin, everyone knows that you get principles when you have kids, like when they go to school. That's the only way I know that as an adult you come in contact with a principle. Joseph's in, and is not even in preschool yet. I don't know a single principle. <laughs> That's why I still go around butchering French people and floating them down the river. Because you didn't have a principal. Well, you were homeschooled, so you didn't have a principal either. Correct. It makes a His lot of sense. Was the principal. But despite the fact that Ben has objected, a vote is held and South Carolina agrees to join the war. Yay! Man, I hope it works out for them. And uh, Gabriel then joins the Continental Army. Two years pass, and things aren't going very well for the American rebels. Charleston was captured by the British under General Cornwallis, a man whose name makes me think of breakfast cereal, and I don't know why. So you're feeling more like a cornflake or a corn mush with Cornwallis? No, I'm, I just, for some reason, I think I think of uh, Rice Krispie Treats. I don't know why, which makes no sense, because Rice Krispie Treats is pretty much the only cereal that doesn't have corn in it. 
So, mm-hmm. I don't know why, but in my mind, Cornwallis makes me think of Kellogg's. Maybe because of cornflakes. Cornflakes, go to Kellogg's, goes to Rice Krispie Treats, goes to Snap, Crackle, and Pop. Booyah. And Snap, Crackle, and Pops were in a movie with Jeff Goldblum, who was in a movie with uh, Kevin Spacey, who was in a movie with Kevin Bacon. And you know he's all about breakfast. Right. <laughs> Cornwallis, bacon, and eggs. It's my favorite. <laughs> I, I envision mush when I think of Cornwallis. It's just like, it's too indefinite and mushy. I feel like Cornwallis is the most British name. You could be named like Jonathan Britton, and Cornwallis would still be a more British name <laughs> more, yeah. than... <laughs> Uh, yeah, so Charleston's uh, captured by Cornwallis. Luckily, Aunt Charlotte uh, was able to get out of town and to safety to her plantation, which I don't know how she's able to move because they have her corseted into that dress so tight, I feel like she was on the verge of dying every single day she shot. That's a good point. Aunt Charlotte's able to get out of town and safely to her slave-run plantation. And, uh... The fighting in this war so far has been mainly regulated to the or relegated to the north. But in a letter, Gabriel informs his family that uh, the war is going to be moving south soon. So get your tickets ready because this summer it's going to pop off. Now, all of this news that he's getting from Gabriel lights a fire in Thomas, and he wants to join the fight. But Benjamin gets his son to agree and wait to enlist until he's seventeen. Come on, what do you want him to be? Basically, dead, Benjamin. Let the 15-year-old go fight in war, jerk. I've probably told you guys this before. I had an uncle that illegally, obviously illegally, uh, went to the Navy at age 14. Lied about his age, <laughs> fought in World War II, and uh, he, I think he was out even before he turned 18. Before he, before he was old enough to actually go into the military, he had, he'd, he'd been honorably discharged. Okay. There you go. The Navy's like, yeah, we'll take you. Yeah, we'll take you. I just can't see, you know, there's like all this vigor for like going into action. And and you always see these stories with like these really young teenagers wanting to go to war. I just Mm -hmm. can't see people like young kids today putting down their TikTok and be like, I can't wait to join the Revolutionary Army. Well, to be fair, you know, I I think that if we were a little bit older when 9-11 happened, I mean, we were 10. But if we were a few years older, I think that, you know, we would have had that same kind of gumption to go and fight and and serve. Maybe. There's a lot of people in the Navy here currently that are, like, a little bit older than me that said that they got in because of 9-11. One night, the Martins are standing on the porch and they hear cannon fire in the distance. At the dinner table... Nathan informs his siblings his opinion on what's about to happen when the British reach their home. It might be my favorite line in this whole movie ever since I was a little kid. Because he's like, They'll probably kill us men. And do Lord knows what to you women. Nathan. (laughs) (laughs) And, Uh, you know, just to... You know, but that's like such a brother thing to say to your sisters though you know mm-hmm. that's <laughs> that's why i loved it 
So Nathan's threatening that his sisters are going to be unsafely handled by the British. So, uh, but before he can go on, he's interrupted as an injured Gabriel stumbles into the house and he's nursed by his father. And that night, a battle erupts in the Martin's front yard, and Benjamin watches the horrors of war unfold on his land. The next morning, Gabriel awakens to find that his father has turned their home into a makeshift hospital. British and Continental soldiers are laying side by side, bleeding and suffering from last night's fight. But then a British regiment rides up under the command of the ruthless Colonel William Tavington. And Tavington orders the Martin's house and barns to be burnt to the ground for helping the rebel forces. And when the colonel finds out that Gabriel was a continental soldier carrying dispatches, he decides to take Gabriel into custody so that they can hang him and put his body on display. I feel like this guy's character is exactly what it is in Harry Potter. He's just been transported in time. I know, but he plays such a good bad guy. What I don't understand is why people have to say, uh, I'm going to order your barns to be burnt to the ground. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like that's not as succinct as it could be. If someone says, hey, I'm going to burn your house down, down, that's enough. You don't have to say to the ground. <laughs> I know. No, it's like in, in the book of Judges, they always say, burn it with fire. Well, you oh, can burn you something gotta, with. You just gotta emphasize. You gotta burn it with fire to the yeah, ground. You, you can burn something with acid. They don't got any acid. That's why they had to clarify. They don't got any acid. That's why everyone fought so much because they they all had heartburn. They didn't have any any acid. Antacid. <laughs> uh. <laughs> and in the late. Late. <laughs> Jack, it really wasn't that funny. It really wasn't. Woo! Okay. Now, uh, this is too much for Thomas. His brother in, in, in custody and his house on fire. So he runs and tries to free Gabriel. But he's gunned down by Tavington, who exclaims, Stupid boy. Turns around and pops him one right in the, right in the sternum. Dead. And Thomas dies in Benjamin's arms as the father helplessly watches his son's life flee from his body and his home burnt and the injured rebel soldiers are mercilessly executed and his children are in shock as their brother's life ends and everything they've known is just destroyed and it's just a bad day for the Martins. Yeah, that's one way to put it. <laughs> it's just been a, it's been a little cloudy today. You it's know for a fact that Benjamin got into bed that night and I was like, what a day. It's, <laughs> it's just been one of them days. <laughs> You know, one of them days where your kid dies and your house gets burnt down. <laughs> this whole attack awakens a beast inside of Benjamin as he runs into his burning home to retrieve his guns and tomahawk that he carried in the French and Indian War. And he hands his two other sons that aren't in custody or dead uh, some, some muskets. And he tells Margaret, the oldest girl, to watch over the younger children because Papa has some killing to do. 
And the, the three Martins sprint through the woods, and Ben sets his sons up, up on a, an overlook, and he tells his sons exactly what every father tells their kid the first time they take him out of the woods with guns. Aim for the officers and then work your way down the ranks. <laughs> you definitely have to follow the order. He then tells them, Aim small, miss small. Aim small, miss small. Which is, I guess, uh, Mel Gibsonese for aim small, miss small. Why in the world none of those people could pronounce that, I don't know. Because it came out every time. Aim small, miss small. Aim small, miss small. What does that mean? How do you aim small? Like, okay, look, you, look, right now, you want to shoot Scott in the head, all right? Okay. You're not going to aim at Scott's giant watermelon-sized dome. You're going to aim at in between his eyes, right? That's so even small. if you're off a little bit, you're still going to hit his head. I see. You aim small, you'll miss small. You'll miss a little. Thank you for that illustration, Zach. You're welcome. <laughs> Soon enough, a British caravan transporting Gabriel to the gallows rides down a wooded path. With a small prayer, Benjamin takes the first shot, and the two boys each take a shot, and they're just murdering people left and right. And Benjamin's running around so the British can't get a bead on him or his sons, and the British are confused at the sudden attack, and that's when Ben decides to take the fight up close and personal. Let's get ready to rumble. This Sunday, 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 in the Continental Cage Match, no holds bar. 20, 20 British regulars enter, one man leaves. Uh, he just has a knife and a hatchet, and he just, he's just hacking people to death. He's having a great time, you know? And, it's a little uh, hard to believe that they could have done that all by themselves. No, Benjamin's awesome. Uh, but, you know, they're, they're British. Yeah, British people are known for two things. They don't brush their teeth, and they don't know how to shoot guns very well. So yeah, Benjamin, at one point, a British soldier has Gabriel in like a headlock with a knife to his throat, and Benjamin's like, I got this. 360 quick scope. Hurls the, the tomahawk through the air and just embeds it right in that dude's dumb head. And then after that dude's dead, the, there's one Brit British person left. He tries to run away, and Benjamin's like, nah, nah, you're not doing that. Whoosh, throws it through the air again, right in the spinal cord. He goes down. And then Benjamin just just, just hacks him up for a good long while. Mm. Just for a good, for a good, yeah. you know. That wasn't about killing there. I mean, it was something I, far, far deeper. Well, no dust, Scott. I'm pretty sure that... Anger. Listen, yeah, if somebody killed my son, the least I would do is hit him with a tomahawk 400 times. I would, like, go full Rambo. I'd tear his ears off, turn him into necklaces pull his teeth and embed him in my gloves and make some like weird steel knuckles with teeth. But <sighs> soaked in blood, Benjamin turns to face his two sons who just kind of stand in horror at seeing daddy hack up a man. After that, his kid's like, oh, that was great. Kind of enjoyed it. Yeah. Did you imagine witnessing that, though? Yeah, I, I did. Did you? Three times. I mean, I don't know how many times I've seen this movie. I've probably witnessed it 45 times by now. Yeah, I meant like in real life. I don't know. Uh, but of the 21 Brit 
our Brits that were in that caravan, only one survived. And Tavington goes to this man in the tent and wants to know who massacred his men. And the surviving soldier can only tell the colonel that, as far as he knew, it was only one man. He was all around him, like a ghost. And then Tavington turned around and said, And then ran away. Oh, my. Benjamin then moves his family to the safety of Aunt Charlotte's plantation. And then uh, soon after they arrive, Gabriel announces that he's going back to fight in the Continental Army. But Benjamin forbids Gabriel to go. But Gabriel tells his father that he's not a kid and he's not going to stay home. He's going to go fight with his friends. But then Ben says, Gabriel, Thomas is dead. How many more have to die before you'll heed my word? And then I'm like, dang, Benjamin. Busting out the dead kid card already? Ooh, it's cold. <laughs> I mean, your son probably already feels guilt for his brother being dead, but then you pull that one on him? Man, Benjamin, you ice cold. <laughs> Defeated and fearing for his family's safety, Benjamin decides to join the Continental Army the very next day. And uh, Gabriel's a little bit ahead of his father, obviously. And uh, he comes across the looted house, and he walks through the house, and he can watch a battle play out through a window. And that's where Benjamin catches up with his son. And then the two discuss the stupidity of lining up and shooting at each other. Stupid. He's like, hey, look how dumb this is. They're like, yeah, it's pretty dumb. At least he figured it out. I don't, seriously, I don't understand how they kept anyone in those lines. You can't. Well, you can because it happened. This is how they used to fight. I know, but they just kept falling over. But my point is, the second someone's like, all right, Zach, uh, I need you first row middle today. No. <laughs> Sorry. Listen, no. They're just going to be six feet in front of me, and they're going to shoot me. No. Can we try something else? Anything else? And as Benjamin said, the, the battle was lost before they even took the field. All right, because it's not a battle strategy or anything. It's just who has the most dudes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but soon the Continentals are forced to retreat, and uh, one soldier gets hit in the head with a cannon, and it's blown off, which is real fun. And then uh, Tavington rides on, in on horseback to cut down any of the fleeing Americans. Benjamin and Gabriel arrive at the Continental camp where Colonel Henry Burwell is in command. And Ben enlists and asks Burwell what the plan is. And the colonel says, to defeat the British, duh. How dumb are you? What do you think the plan is? <laughs> Did you really just ask me that? Are you serious? Hey, what's the plan? When? Moron? Coming in here asking me what the plan is? Oh, I don't know. Fight. Shoot some people. Win. America. See how it turns out. But the plan really is that they they want to keep Cornwallis in the south so he can't overrun Washington in the north. They just need to hold out for about six months until French reinforcements arrive. And speaking of the French, Benjamin is given command of a militia that he's charged to form. And Gabriel and the French Marquis Jean Velenu is also placed in uh, or under his command. And Velenu despises Benjamin. Because Benjamin did some some pretty not nice things to the French during the French and Indian War. 
But Benjamin and Gabriel split up to raise a militia. Now, at the British camp, Cornwallis is scolding Tavington for killing injured soldiers and other ruthless tactics. The general reminds the colonel that King George expects his soldiers to act like gentlemen. You will shoot them in an orderly line, sir. <laughs> to be fair, they needed America to kind of be on their side. They couldn't, you know, have them completely hate England because when they won, they would need to be able to trade and work with the colonies again. So Davington really needs to get his act together. Now, Gabriel's first stop on the recruitment trail is a church service because, of course it is, which he just rides in and interrupts. He's like, hey, yeah, 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 that's a nice Bible story, old man, but uh, any of you guys want to kill some people? <laughs> which he was quite Wait. persuasive because the minister left. Yeah. Went with him. First of all, that was not Gabriel. Nobody was fighting because Gabriel's like, hey, guys, you want to come fight with me? Somebody it's in the back's like, woman. don't listen to him. I saw what he did with Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> yeah, but, but the men are hesitant, and that's when Anne gets up and is like, tells her congregation, guys, it's time for, <laughs> it's time for you to man up. Dense, Scott. Barely a week ago, I heard you rail for two hours about independence. Uh -huh. Mr. Hardwick, how many times have I heard you speak of freedom at my father's table? Half the men in this church, including you, Father, and you, Reverend, are as ardent patriots as I. Will you now, when you are needed most, stop at only words? Is that the sort of men you are? And oh boy, does this rev Gabriel's engines. He's like, <laughs> He likes it. I'll never do that again. <laughs> uh, her speech works. And uh, several members of the church stand up to join Benjamin's militia. And the priest's like, I still got two points here. So I have two points in there. Everybody sit down. I'm going to finish this. <laughs> and that is why, and 15 minutes later, and that's why we shouldn't kill people. All right, everybody out. Let's go kill some people. America! As the congregation packs up to leave, Gabriel asks Peter Howell if it's okay to write his daughter, Anne, and permission is granted. <laughs> and as the men mount up to ride away, the reverend of the church joins the men, and they're like, Rev, you coming with us? And he's like, hey, sometimes you need to feed the sheep. And other times you gotta fight off the wolves. And I'm like, that's not anything. That's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> that's not anything. You're just saying words at this point, Rev. Now, Benjamin takes a different tact. He's not interrupting church services. But instead, he's going to the local tavern. Because you probably can find the worst people in town if you go to the local tavern on Sunday. So yeah, he um, goes to a bar and enlists a bunch of guys. One of these includes uh, the, the slave by the name of Occam and fan favorite Peter Billings, the latter of which has the most adorable little red-headed son that you had ever seen in your life. Because he wants to go, he comes up to the little red-headed, comes up and goes, I'd kill me some red coats. I believe you would. And I'm like, aw, you're so cute. Okay, I want Luke, do your best Peter Billings laugh. 
I don't even know who Peter Billings is. He's the dude with the redheaded son. No, but his, I mean, his, <clears throat> I remember his laugh being like weird, but I don't remember it well enough because I didn't know who he was. Okay, he's the only dude that laughs in the whole movie. Scott, you know what I'm talking about. Can you give me a Peter Billings laugh? Uh, no. Come on, give it a try. <laughs> no. <laughs> give it a try. I'm trying to think what the laugh was even like. It was like, hmm. <laughs> it wasn't like that. <laughs> it was like, I do remember. <laughs> I remember. Nope, it wasn't that. <laughs> yeah. That at all. It was like, hmm. <laughs> 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 it was like, <laughs> it was like that. It was kind of like that. <laughs> 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 it doesn't matter. Uh, but Ben and Gabriel lead their new recruits to the ruins of an old Spanish mission in the swamps of South Carolina. And Ben is melting down Thomas's lead soldiers and turning them into musket balls, planning to, to kill the British with his son's toys. And it's pretty po- poetic when you think about it. That was a pretty cool hideout, but I imagine the mosquitoes must have been terrible. No, they didn't. In the 1700s, mosquitoes were considered pets. Maybe the British brought them over. That's where they came from. Texas together. Rangers actually rode on them. On the mosquitoes? Yeah, yeah what you don't yeah. know is that, uh, is that Chuck Norris is actually one millimeter tall. They just zoom in really close for all of his fight scenes for Walker, Texas Ranger. But really, he leaves the set and uh, fights a and flies a mosquito home. As they begin to fight, Benjamin's militia is successful because they're fighting not by lining up and shooting each other in turns, but using guerrilla tactics. They're just throwing bananas and going. I, I love think, a gorilla. I think those are gorilla tactics, right? Yep. I'm well, offended. And the British are not uh, prepared because, again, they're just used to shooting people that are politely lining up in front of them. Yeah, but So they're just easily mowed down. But at first, Gabriel's church fighters and Benjamin's drunken rebels are kind of at odds. And they argue over whether or not they should give quarter to English soldiers. Gabriel's like, yes, of course, we're gentlemen. And Benjamin's like, yeah, we are, guys. Even though I just killed a whole bunch of unarmed surrendering men, he's right. Let's totally treat the enemy honorably. But luckily, that never comes up again, because they Mm -hmm. never take a single captive. Uh, Now... Now, during one attack, they come across a treasure trove of new English muskets, uniforms, wine, and Cornwallis's personal journals and his personal Great Danes. To the Reverend's horror, Peter Billings, who laughs like this, <laughs> suggests... I say we drink the wine, eat the dogs, and use the papers for musket lighting. Eat the dogs? Yeah, dog is a fine meal. Uh-huh. Good heavens. <laughs> mm, I love They're me delicious. some dogs. Bow wow. 
At the British Gala, Cornwallis is complaining that there hasn't been, or that he hasn't been able to advance north, but it's being held in South Carolina by, quote, farmers with pitchforks. Later on in the Gala, the same farmers blow up a British supply ship right in front of Cornwallis's stupid face. Now, of course, the British aristocrats that are his guests are just overjoyed to be treated with fireworks lovely. <laughs> Oh, fireworks, lovely. That was so stupid. It was funny. What would possess her to think that the boat blowing up would flying in every direction? Because it would be more... It would make more sense to a British aristocrat that that was planned firework entertainment than the colonists actually getting on board and blowing her up. Now, after blowing up the ship, Benjamin and his militia take a short furlough in the town where Gabriel enlisted the church. The men take some time to see their families, and, and Gabriel and Anne get to know each other a little better. They get to know each other a little better in what's called a bundling bag, which apparently was a uh, tradition back in the, the 1700s of if, you're, if your daughter has a bow needing a place to stay, he can sleep in her room, but you're going to have to tie him or, or sew him into a bag. What happens if he's found to have escaped the bag in the middle of the night? Uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, that's how Anne was born. Because if you remember that Anne's dad Thomas is over there with the with his hearing aid pressed against the wall, trying to hear what's going on in there. For he's listening for conversation, right, about their future marriage and grandchildren. He's like, "When am I when am I grandchildren going to get here?" Yeah, so they were just sitting in there and going, "Oh, lovely! How do you spell celibacy?" Oh, I do believe that is my favorite word, <laughs> Anne. Celibacy. Mm. Last time I checked, they're not British and. <laughs> Would you like a big plate of ranch and celibacy? <laughs> My favorite thing to eat with hot wings is a big pile of celibacy. I'm in Kentucky. Let me share this being British. bit of information with you guys. Pregnancies following bundling weren't unheard of. And one in ten of every first child born in colonial America was born eight months after marriage. Yeah. One poem of the time serves as a cautionary tale. A bundling couple went to bed with all their clothes from foot to head. That the defense might seem complete, each one was wrapped in a sheet. But oh, this bundling's such a witch, the man of her did catch the itch. And so provoked was the wretch that she of his a bastard catched. First of all, that is my new favorite nursery rhyme I'm going to say to my son before he gets it to bed. It should be. Hey, doesn't the Amish do something similar that prior to I marriage, don't know, but can we get back to share <laughs> a bed that has like a 2 by 12 in between them? On yes, side? they do. They yes, they do. Yes, 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 yes. But anyways, if you remember from the scene... The reason why I said Anne was probably born because of a bundling bag is that he's all 
stressed out about Gabe up, the, uh, uh, you know, up in that flower shack being sewed up, and the mom's brushing her hair, and he's like, "Don't worry, I sew better than my mother did." I hope so. <laughs> like, I miss that. Dirty dogs. Uh, yeah, they're they're visiting, but then they're back to fighting again. Now, next, Benjamin's men set up a roadblock in an attempt to commandeer a British wagon. Little did they know that this was actually Tavington laying a trap. Several of Benjamin's men are mowed down by the British as they try to flee this ambush, and several are taken as prisoners. In the end, 22 are dead, 18 are wounded, and 20 are missing. And several men decide to give up and leave the fighting. Now, Jean turns to the guys and says, Listen, my comrades, it's okay, because things are going to come and save the day. And they're like, can it, Pepe Le Pew? You don't need no Frenchman. <laughs> After all, we got Benjamin Martin. You know what he did with the French out at Fort Wilderness. And this prompts Gabriel to go up to his dad and is like, Dad, what happened during the French and Indian War? And Benjamin reluctantly tells his son, he's like, listen. The French and the Cherokee had raided along the Blue Ridge. The English settlers had sought refuge at Fort Charles. By the time we got there, the fort was abandoned. They'd left about a week before. But what we found was... Go on. They'd killed all the settlers. And men. With the women and some of the children, they had... We buried them all, what was left of them. We caught up with them at Fort Wilderness. We took our time. We cut them apart, slowly, piece by piece. I can see their faces. still hear their screams. All but two, we, we let them live. We placed the heads on a pallet and sent them back with the two that lived to Fort Ambercon. The eyes, tongues, fingers, we put in baskets, sent them down the ashlow to the Cherokee. This grisly act is what caused the Indians to break their treaty with the French. Ending the war, and uh, so Benjamin was called a hero, but not a day goes by that Benjamin doesn't ask for forgiveness for what he has done. And then Gabriel's like, that's pretty gross, Dad. But can we talk about something else? He's like, yeah. He's like, look, I know you want revenge for Thomas. Don't let your revenge get in the way of the cause. We're trying to, we're trying to free America here. Then out of the mist, Occam the slave arrives carrying an injured man and informed Benjamin that the British have 18 men still alive in their custody and are planning on hanging them until Benjamin surrenders. So Benjamin surrenders. He rides right into the British camp with Cornwallis's dogs under a white banner. He offers to exchange British prisoners for his men. And he tells Cornwallis to look out into a field with a spyglass, and sure enough, there are several red coats being guarded by Ben's troops. 
How many are there? Well, Benjamin says... They refuse to give me their names, but their ranks are nine lieutenants, five captains, three majors, and one very fat colonel who called me a... cheeky fellow. <laughs> Reluctantly, Cornwallis agrees uh, to the exchange. As Benjamin leaves the fort... Tavington recognizes the militia leader, but Benjamin Martin cannot be touched because of the prisoner exchange, so Tavington tries to goad Benjamin into violence by bringing up the son that he shot earlier. He's like, hey, did your son die? I hope so. Nerd. <laughs> Tavington's <laughs> such an idiot. <laughs> but Benjamin doesn't take the bait. Under great restraint, he calmly tells the colonel that before this war is over, he will kill him. And with that, Benjamin and his troops ride to safety. Ben whistles, and Cornwallis's dogs follow follow him out of the fort, away from Cornwallis. And just great as scene. a just as a cherry on top of the Sunday, the British prisoners were actually scarecrows dressed in British uniforms. Enraged, Cornwallis tells Tavington to take his gloves off and stop Benjamin by any means necessary. Now, Tavington agrees, but knows that he's going to have to do some pretty naughty things. He's not going to be on Santa's nice list this year. However, if I do this, you and I both know that I can never return to England with honor. What, I wonder, is to become of me? When this war is over here in the colonies, the new aristocracy will be landowners. Tell me about Ohio. I'm like, stay out of Ohio, <laughs> you turd. <laughs> but it just goes to help, show, help. Scott, that Ohio is clearly the best territory in the world because he's not like, hey, why don't you tell me about West Virginia or Kentucky? No, he's like, tell me about Ohio. That's the land for me. And Are I thought we... to myself, why would you want to go to Ohio? Why wouldn't you want to go to Ohio? Can you imagine just it's for the a only second? State, if... It's the only state that's round on the outside but high in the middle. Oh, Tavington then goes to one of Benjamin's former friends, a loyalist fighting for the crown, Captain Wilkins, who tells Tavington where Benjamin's children are hiding because he's a human turd. <laughs> and he reveals spineless the, human turd. And then he reveals the location of Aunt Charlotte's plantation. Now Nathan is keeping watch, and he sees torches in the distance and wakes up Charlotte and his siblings when he sees the British riding up. Thankfully, Charlotte just for some reason has a secret tunnel that they used to escape. It's not a secret tunnel. It's like the steps down to the kitchen or something. That's what they said. Yeah, but it's like behind a bookshelf and behind a vault, and you had to like twist William Shakespeare's no, it head wasn't. And bust, <laughs> so that was on top of it. Wink three times and rub your elbow. But if I did have a plantation and had lots and lots of money from picking cotton, I would have a secret tunnel. Actually, that's actually common now that I'm thinking about it. They would have um, they would have steps that only the slaves could use that were hidden. So that way mm -hmm. they wouldn't be seen in the main walkways or anything and they could still get around the house. So that's probably what they used. But they did get out. 
and Benjamin must have heard about these or about having his plan because his men take his family to safety and he leads the British away. And Ben's family's taken to uh, a small community of free slaves. They live on a beach. It's pretty nice. Back at the mission, news reaches Benjamin's men that Tavington has a list of the militia's men. And their families. And he's hunting down their loved ones. At this news, John Billings takes off to find his home in ashes and his wife and red-headed boy slaughtered. Now, here's the thing that breaks my heart. Because earlier in the movie, John gives that little red-headed boy a, a, a wooden gun that he made for him. And the boy had the gun in his hand. You know that boy's trying to defend his mama from the British? Mm-hmm. Should have gave him the real thing. It just goes to show you that redheads really do have souls. Sometimes. John Billings finds his wife and redheaded boy dead, and overwhelmed by the loss, John takes out his pistol and shoots himself in the head. After this shot, I mean, it broke my heart. It really did. But uh, I hated after, it. after this shocking loss, Benjamin orders the rest of his men to go and attend to their families. And he also says that if they don't return in a week, uh, they will not be considered cowards or uncommitted. Benjamin arrives at the black community to see his family. Susan, who had just recently learned to talk, refuses to come and hug her father, but that snub is short-lived as Ben and his kids start to fish and enjoy one another's company. Then Gabriel informs his dad that there's going to be a wedding, and sure enough, Gabriel and Anne marry at a lovely beachside ceremony. After the wedding, Benjamin gives his daughter-in-law a gift that belonged to his wife, a necklace with the Northern Star pendant, and apparently watching the wedding ceremony sparks something between Aunt Charlotte and Benjamin, because they just make out a little bit on the beach. Oh, it was already there. <laughs> She's been thirsty since the beginning. I mean, she has been shooting some eyes at him, that's for sure. She's it would like, be weird to marry your She's like, hey, sister. you know, I'm not my sister. And then he's like, good, because she was a nag. <laughs> <laughs> she, was, she was horrible. <laughs> uh, the next morning, Gabriel and Anne kiss goodbye, and Benjamin kisses Aunt Charlotte right in front of all of his kids, which I'm sure is real confusing for them. Right before he leaves, he tries to get Susan to say goodbye, but she still refuses. But as Benjamin mounts up to leave, she shouts, Papa! Papa, go! Say anything! Papa! I'll say anything you want! Tell me what you want me to say! I'll say anything! You want me to stay home? I promise, Papa, please don't Susan, go. Susan, Susan, I promise. I'll come back. I'll come back. You believe me? You know, you make me very happy. Shut up, I'm not crying. You're crying. I did, I cried at this scene. I'm not gonna lie. It's the first time I watched this movie since I had kids. You ever had those moments where your kid's being stubborn for no some reason and won't say goodbye to you, and then you turn to go, and then they're like, Daddy, come back. You can blame it all on me. Mm -hmm. I was wrong, and I just can't mm -hmm. live without you. 
Daddy, no, come back. No, but I think if the dog could talk. <laughs> come on, Scott. That was funny. That was funny. <laughs> it was. Thank you. Yeah, no, I, I, I welled up a little bit here, Scott. Didn't you a little bit? I didn't well up, but it was it was certainly an emotional moment. Yeah, don't worry about it. Back at the mission base, only Gabriel, Ben, and another man have arrived. But they they don't have to worry about not having a militia for long, because apparently all of Ben's other men who are still alive got together outside the swamp and were like, Hey guys, you guys want to ride in together? Wouldn't it be cool if we all showed up at the same exact time? From two different directions. Okay, group one. Count to ten, and then start rowing, and then we'll come to it. We're going to show up at the same time. It's going to be real dramatic. Okay, guys. Ready? All right. Yeah, they just all show up at the same time. It was pretty dumb, but they're all there, so that's nice. Uh, when Anne gets home from her wedding, there's a, there's a special wedding gift for her. Oh, boy. Tavington is there at the village. He wants the whole village in the church so that they can be addressed at once. And Tavington wants to know where Benjamin Barton is. And uh, he lets the village know that he knows they're helping helping Ben's militia out. And he tells the Crown that if anyone here informs them of Martin's whereabouts, they will be forgiven. Then one coward tells Tavington that Ben is hiding out at the old mission. And he's like, you saying that there's an abandoned mission that clearly would have been known about and been a great hideout just a few minutes away from here, and I didn't check that out yet? Oh. Come on, Tavington. You're better than this. <laughs> but instead, he thanks the men and changes the or changes the door. He doesn't change the door. He's like, mm, I don't like this door. Let's go with a nice red one. Take the green one off. Put a red one on. Bye. He, he was right. This, this this red door does make this church building kind of pop. Glad he changed it. Uh, <laughs> So horrible. And he changes the door. The coward's like, hey, you said that we'd be forgiven. And then Tavington responds, probably one of the most awesome bad guy lines I've ever heard. You said we'd be forgiven. And indeed you may. That's between you and God. And then fire the building. Burn the church to the ground, Holmes. They're like, but there's women and children in there. And he's like, yeah, that's why we're doing it. I'm a bad guy. Duh. And so uh, that happens. The next day, Benjamin and his militia ride into the village. Like that. And uh, they see fire on the horizon. And they're like, the Cherokee's sending me a signal. He says, Davington rides north on the buffalo. If Tavington rode a buffalo, this movie would be even better. I want to ride a buffalo now. I don't think that's a thing. I'm going to say no. Not without consent. Man, Alberta man <laughs> rides his buffalo to the grocery store. All right, YouTube, really? bring it. Alberta, this would happen in Canada. He's just like, his buffalo's just like with little legs walking him to the grocery store. This guy's sideburns are unreal. He's so Canadian. Okay, you may continue now. Great. He's just swigging maple syrup, drinking Tim Horton. <laughs> Out of his flask. He's got a pocket full of poutine. <laughs> poutine? Yeah, Canadians love poutine. And it's not what you think. It's actually french fries with gravy on top of it. Sounds right. Yeah, it's really good. Is that real? 
Yes, poutine is real. Gravy on fries, yeah. There's a place here that does curry on fries. Scott it's fantastic. <laughs> Scott's like, what, gravy on fries? Yeah, it's real. If anyone would know, <laughs> if you could get gravy yeah. on fries, it's Scott. <laughs> at West Liberty, at West Liberty, that was a huge thing. Every time they had french fries, they had gravy on them. Yeah, it's Seriously. Now, personally, you may find this funny coming from the fat man. I don't like gravy on my fries. So, yeah, they see smoke on the horizon, so they ride in there. And Gabriel's an idiot because the church building's burnt down. And he's like running through the building. He's like, Miss, Mrs. Howard, Mr. Howard, Anne, there's nobody home. And then Martin, and then Benjamin's like, dumb, dumb, dumb. You're dumb. Trust me, they're here. <laughs> stupid, stupid, dumb, dumb. Thought I raised a smarter man than that. Look, I've been scooping through these ashes for all of five seconds, and I already found and I already found your wife's necklace. All right, it took me five seconds, Gabe. Five. She's dead, Holmes. She's a little uh, country fried. Wow. Listen, a little bit of country fried. Listen, son, your your new bride's a little ashy, and no lotion's gonna fix it. Maybe she has a sister. Maybe. Maybe. You know how us hey, you know how us Martin guys are. Don't worry, she's got a younger sister. <laughs> that would be weird. So Gabriel finds out that his new wife gave him the opposite of a cold shoulder and uh decides to hunt down Tavington and his men. And Gabriel manages to catch the Brits off guard and a skirmish breaks out, and in the fight the Reverend is killed. And uh, Gabriel manages to wound Tavington. And Tavington flops like LeBron James in the NBA Finals. He's laying there on the <laughs> ground like, oh, I'm dying. And Gabriel's like, all right, I'm going to slowly take 45 seconds to stab you with this knife. I'm going to look at the knife. I'm going to do some knife tricks, twirl around my fingers a little bit, do a backflip or two. And then I'm going to come and stab you because... Instead of just finishing him off real quick, like he probably could, uh, when he moves in to kill uh, old Mr. Tavington, uh, the colonel runs the eldest Martin boy through with a sword. Now Benjamin and the rest of the men ride up just in time to see Gabriel cling into life. And Gabriel is like, hey dad. He's like, yeah, I'm here boy. He's like, I'm sorry. He's like, what for? He's like, for Thomas, and he's like, yeah, I know, that was, a, that was kind of a terrible move. I still blame you for my first son's death, but uh, you're kind of making up for it right now. And he's like, okay, I love you. And he's like, we're not going to say that. Bye. <laughs> it's a great telling of the death scene, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> Summed up well, spot on. <laughs> we go to battle and you die in battle, Zach, I'm going to retell of your death like that. That's what I would do in battle. Like, I think I'm dying. I was like, yeah, probably. You got a whole bunch of holes probably. in you that aren't supposed to be there. It's like, uh, I feel cold. Yeah, well, that happens right for the big one. Gabriel's dying and Benjamin's like, I love you, my boy. And he dies. And it's pretty sad. It's probably one of the most realistic death scenes. Every time somebody dies in this show... They did something with like the color where you watch the you can see the color drain out of their face. It's always stuck mm-hmm. with me in this movie. It really had. It was just it was it was it was bad. You know, Gabriel's cool and everything, but now he's dead. And uh, well, it, the scene fades to black, and I'm like, this is a terrible way to end the movie. It's not over. 
Benjamin is next seen uh, in a tent at Colonel Burwell's camp. He got Gabriel's body back there. And the colonel is like, hey, you know what will make you feel better? Come with me and we're going to go kill some people. Make your, make your son's lives mean something. I'm like, well, hold on just a second. It's kind of rude. A little too soon. He's in there at his son's wake and he's like, hey, that boy's death was useless unless you come on and, and fight. But then Benjamin responds, Why? Why do men feel they can justify death? Is it arrogance? I have long feared that my sins would return to visit me. And the cost is more than I can bear. And Burwells tells Benjamin that we're one fight away from winning the war. All right, look, you already lost two kids. Just come Suck on and fight. Out. Just get over it, man. Away. They're already dead. You already said you didn't have any principles. But Benjamin just doesn't have it in him to fight anymore. There's all the... I'm <laughs> <laughs> just waiting. <laughs> Benjamin's militia are all waiting outside for their leader, outside the tent where Gabriel body, or Gabriel's body has been laying, and Burwells informs the men that uh, Benjamin's chickening out right here at the end. You can cut off fingers and tongues, but when it comes to finishing a war, you know, know what we call him. Old Benny can't finish the war. It's not a good nickname, but that's what we call him. So you're going to go fight underneath me, Burwell says to his men. Now Benjamin buries Gabriel and looks through his son's saddlebag, and he finds a faded flag that Gabriel had mended. He's like, oh yeah, I forgot. Gabriel loved America. I should probably America. fight. And uh, as Burwells and Jean ride into the battle, they hear hoofbeats behind them as Ben comes riding in, flying Gabriel's flag. They're like, nice. At the battle near Cowpens, Martin's militia are placed on the front line. All because Ben was like, hey, I want to sacrifice all these guys. I've been fighting with them for a long time. I'm getting real sick of them. Can we please be on the front? We just get rid of them. Can we please be on the front and just let us fire two shots? They're like, it takes a long time to fire two shots. He's like, I know. Want to get rid of them. And uh, he asks them, you know, take just take two shots. And they're like, okay, sounds cool. Thanks for volunteering for this for us, Benjamin. We were almost done. We almost got out with our lives. Thanks for this, Ben. Great job. And... Uh, the initial battle starts out. Things seem hopeless. The, the British regulars vastly outnumber the Continental troops. Cannonballs are just rolling around on the ground and lip, ripping off people's limbs. And it's real gross. And it's real weird, too, because that cannonball was moving really, really slow. Like, really slow. That The one that took off the dude's leg. Like, it was going yeah, super was so slow. Weird. It was going like was so weird. It was like going one mile an hour. And it just, like, touched the dude's <laughs> leg. And his leg was like, and just disintegrated around it. Like I'm like sure going on there. I'm sure that if a cannonball rolled over your foot, it'd hurt real bad. Don't get me wrong. But the way that this movie looked is like as long as a cannonball has any forward momentum whatsoever and it touches you, it, you're gonna lose a limb. Like it touched that dude's pinky toe and his leg flew off. Yep. 
Well, they also had those exploding cannonballs too. So you know they had right. some special, some special weapons. Uh yeah. So they're fighting at the worst place to have a, a major battle, a place called Cowpens. <clears throat> Lame, Cowpens. Why don't you just call it, fight the battle of pigsty, nerds? <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, they they fire twice, and then they run away. But that's the plan. They're supposed to run away oh. because because you know they're going to chase after them to end this battle. But what what's over the hill, guys? Uh oh, whole bunch of other American colonists going to be fighting. Bang bang, pop pop, phew, and the fight is happening, and and the British seem to be losing, and then the battle dissolves into hand to hand chaos, and the British regain momentum, and the Continental Army is retreating. But then Benjamin's like, "Oh wait a second, I have a flag," and so he runs up and throws a British guy off some steps, and nobody bothers to kill that guy, so he could just get up and stab Benjamin in like four seconds. But who cares about that? And he's up on top of the steps, he's waving the flag, and he's like. And they're like, that's the wrong movie. That's the wrong movie, Mel. We're not in Braveheart anymore. We're in The Patriot. And he's like, oh, yeah, duh. Uh, I'm from Australia. Forgive me. And uh, then he sees Tavington. And Tavington's like, hey, the, the battle's pretty much over. Me and you, it's time for us to fight. And they're like, all right, let's fight. And for some reason, we've seen Benjamin fight hand-to-hand and do amazing things in this whole movie, but he forgets how to fight during this fight for some reason. <laughs> yeah, he pulls out that tomahawk, and I'm thinking, this is going to be over in about two swings. Yeah, and, and you know, Tavinan delivers some terrible slashes with his sword. He cuts, he cuts his shoulder, Benjamin's shoulder, and then he cuts his other shoulder, and then he cuts his back. And I'm like... Why are you just have his butt cheek off? Though. Why are you just like doing paper cuts on this dude? Just end it. Benjamin goes to his knees. He's been disarmed except for his gun. And then uh and then Tavian gets behind him and he goes, You lost me, my servant! And he pulls out his snake staff, and there's his wand, and he goes, Avada! But then Dobby the elf shows up beside Benjamin, he's like, You shall not harm Harry Potter! And snaps his fingers, and, and Lucius just goes flying. That, and that's the end of Harry Potter 2 Chamber of Secrets, where he played the bad guy in that as well. Got those confused. Sorry. Tavington's over him. Benjamin's on his knees. This seems to be the end. And Tavington prepares to deliver the coup de grace. Or the coup de grace, excuse me. And he says, Kill me before the war is over, will you? He is. You are not the better man. And he swings to lop off Benjamin's head, but Benjamin's all of a sudden like Neo in Ye Old Matrix, and he just like bends his neck, and the sword barely misses him. He gives him a little haircut, and then he turns around real quick, and he's like right into his gut with a with a bayonet, and he's like, "You're right." <laughs> My sons were better men. And I'm like, well, hold on a second, Benjamin. They're not better men right now because they're dead. 
So don't say that. It's silly. But it's okay. And he gets up and he's like, I'm going to kill you, but I'm going to do it in the most graphically way possible. I'm going to make sure this movie gets an R, despite the head being blown off and the leg just flying off for no reason. <laughs> and then he takes another bayonet off the ground. He sticks it right on Tavinan's Adam's apple. And he's like, this is going to take a while. And then for like 45 minutes, he just slowly pushes this thing into his throat. And then Tavinan's like, <laughs> and he dies. And no one was sad. You know, I was kind of hoping for the tomahawk. I'm not going to lie. I was too. I was too. Yeah, but it was so brutal watching him slowly shove a bayonet into his throat. I mean, I don't think he can get much more brutal than that. You know, he and his ability, Benjamin's ability to do that kind of stuff is just, it's crazy to me. I mean, how would you know when the sword was going to, to you know, be coming that you could duck? Right, it's almost like it's a beheaded. movie. It, yeah, it was, what's gonna say when he got older? I remember this one time he pulled an ace of spades in a card game, won the whole poker game, and didn't even look at the card. Right, and this other time when he was younger, he was flying all around the wasteland in in this car, and he went to the yeah. the the death dome or whatever it was called, and and yeah, and, and this other time he was. He was, he was, he was, he was, he was, he was over in Scotland and he had a dress on, a skirt on, and he had lots of hair and blue makeup and, 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 and he fought a guy and, and he won, but then they cook his, he moved he, a guy took his too. he took his guts out. But I did appreciate the fact, uh, I didn't mention this. I, I, I appreciated the fact of how Tavington got off of his horse because yeah, that was good. when they first go to fight, Tavington's on horseback. And he charges at Benjamin, and he's just about ready to do like a like a horse polo stroke and just lop Benjamin off. But uh, 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 Benjamin remembers his Braveheart days because he goes down to one knee and he just jams that flag right into that horse's sternum. Right. But can we just talk just for a second about how an entire horse landed on top of him and he got up like nothing? Like he had to have felt the full weight of that horse. And he shrugged that off like a lineman shrugging off a defensive tackle. Horses weigh 840 to 220, or 2,200 pounds. I'm going to guess that one was like at least 1,500. I'm just saying it would have hurt to have that much horse on top of you. It would have killed you. Uh, so this battle marks the beginning of the end for Cornwallis as he calls the retreat. Uh, and then he has to retreat a whole bunch more until the British Army finally surrenders at Yorktown, Virginia, when the long-awaited French re- reinforcements finally arrive. And after the war ends, Benjamin returns with his family, with Charlotte carrying a baby. Because, mm. well, the thing is, he has two spots that he has to replace. And he discovers that his militia soldiers are rebuilding his house, which is really nice, because they all had homes that were burnt down too, but they got to take care of Martin first. The end. Good movie. It's a good movie. It's really long. Yeah. That's almost three hours. It's like 244. Really it's like long. Lord of the Rings. We got more war movies to watch next week? Nope, because we got to do our Halloween episode. Oh, which one's that? Luke's favorite. Oh yeah. Next uh, week on the next week on the Rotten and Righteous podcast, 
I'm making Luke watch something he really doesn't want to watch. Alright, it's 918. We're headed down into the cellar where the door's just opened on its own. You give us a sign that you want to communicate with us. What are you guys? Well, we've been called ghost hunters, paranormal researchers. But we prefer to be known simply as Ed and Lorraine Warren. There's someone here that would like to talk to you. There's something horrible happening in my house. November 1st, 1971, I'm sitting here with Carolyn Perrin, who, with her family, has been experiencing supernatural occurrences. You picking up anything in here, hon? Something awful happened here, Ed. What is it? Whatever Lorraine sees, feels, touches, it takes a toll on her. A little piece each time. You have a lot of spirits in here, but there's one that I'm most worried about because it is so hateful. That's not going to help. This thing has latched itself to your family. Father, well, we've never seen nothing like this. I'm coming with you. No way. I can't lose you. There's a lady in a dirty nightgown that I see in my dreams. She's standing in front of my mom's bed. Yeah. And the music stops. You see him in the mirror standing behind you. Look what she made me do. It's going to be a good time next week. Our Halloween episode spectacular. That's right. We're watching The Conjuring. It's going to be real fun. <sighs> it's, but not, look, it's not. You should cheer up because after The Conjuring, we have November, which has been traditionally a Hallmark Family Movie Month. Oh, yeah. We'll just have, have <laughs> Megan and Kelsey pick all the movies. <laughs> For Rotten and Righteous, I am Zachariah Covington. I'm I Scott am the, Cornwallis. I'm the Conjuring Ghost of Joseph Smith, possessing Amen. your house and showing up at your front door in a white shirt. And a name badge. Hey, but before we go, hey, do you guys know what is red, white, blue, and green? No. A, a patriotic pickle. What? Good <laughs> 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 night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> guy i don't even know i'm telling this story because it's kind of humiliating but i'll tell it there's this guy that lived at the end of our road when we were growing up
his name, um, I, I don't remember his name. Let's call him uh, Mr. John, just for sake of argument. Anyways, Mr. John was a real, real grumpy so-and-so. And one, but he had this driveway that had a big drain in the middle of it. And it was sloping, so it was super fun to ride your bicycle around and get, like, the centrifugal forces going and everything. Well, one day, and this was, like, one of the only times I ever put on my bike helmet, and I don't know why I did that, but I'm glad I, I did. Because one day, I was driving around his drain, going as fast as I could, and centrifugal force pulled me off my bike and slammed me into the corner of his brick house and into his rose bushes. All right? Like, there was a, a visible gash in this helmet that I was wearing. If I, I'm very lucky I put a helmet on that day. But uh, my only fear was not the pain from the rose bushes was, holy crap, I just landed Mr. John's rose bushes. I need to get out of here. You know, they, they talk about, you know, adrenaline running when you're in, like, war and stuff where you don't feel the pain until later. Mm-hmm. That is, I, I believe it, because I felt that fear. When I landed in those road bushes or rose bushes, wow. so I go home and I'm convinced that this dude saw me and something bad was about to happen. And uh, my sister saw me wreck into the rose bushes too, Jordan, uh, from down the road. And uh, she came up to me as I was like just sitting in the backyard, like looking around, making sure no one was coming in to attack. And she goes, "Hey, uh, I just talked to Mr. John. And he saw you fall in his rose bushes. And he's gonna come and kill you." <laughs> Just straight faced like that. <laughs> He's gonna come and kill you. No, it big. was it was one o'clock in the afternoon, Scott. I had a treehouse, and I laid flat on my stomach on that wooden treehouse until my dad got home at like five thirty six o'clock. <laughs> For four and a half hours, I laid without moving a muscle, convinced because my sister's st- stupid mouth that I, I was going to die. So I was, like, hiding out from this dude. Yeah, British people are known for two things. They don't brush their teeth, and they don't know how to shoot guns very well. If they did, we wouldn't. If they did, Americans wouldn't have to go over there and save them every time they got into a fight. (laughs) Every time. Oh, look. England ticked off France again. Hey, France. For some reason, between you saving us the Revolutionary War and now, we just kind of don't like you anymore. <laughs> don't worry about it. But uh, could you just lay off our friends over there? I know, our our mom is elderly and a little senile. But gosh, we're tired of fighting for her battles for Seriously, can you just lay off our estranged mother, England? England is America's estranged mother. We want to put her in a home. We, she already gave away pretty much all her possessions. She doesn't have India anymore. <laughs> she doesn't have she doesn't have Australia anymore, South Africa. She already gave away everything that was worth anything. What's she? What, what's left for us? Canada. We basically already have Canada, and we don't want it. <laughs> Nobody wants Canada. What, what's in Canada? A moose. A moose and high taxes. Keep it. Do you guys know what Thomas Jefferson's favorite dessert was? No. Monticello. <laughs> A box of jello. Monticello. Monticello. Oh, Monticello. That makes more sense.
Hey, what would you get if you crossed a colonial hairpiece with a teepee? A wigwam? A powdered wigwam. Uh-huh.